Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Authentic You podcast series brought to you by skills In this episode we'll be talking about neurodiversity and why we should all support authenticity and celebrate difference. I'm Jane Little and joining me today is Rebecca Penn, Audit Analyst at Balfour Beatty and also the Founder and Chair of the Balfour Beatty Neurodiversity Network. Rebecca, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today and learning more about what neurodiversity is, what to do if you think you or somebody in your family is neurodiverse, or if you've had a diagnosis but haven't disclosed this at work. With one in seven adults in the UK being neurodiverse in some way, we are hoping to gain some advice on how we can better support our neurodiverse colleagues. But first, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. So I've got a really long family history of dyslexia or neurodiversity as a general. Um, my dad, <laughs> he is dyslexic, but without the dyslexia diagnosis, he's got every single characteristic just like me um, and his sister. So my auntie, um, she does have a dyslexia diagnosis um, and then it also feeds into some of my other family members as well. So it's a real prominent thing and that's quite common with neurodiversity anyway. Um, I was actually diagnosed when I was 17, which is quite old um, for a dyslexia diagnosis. I was always labelled as being too smart to be dyslexic um, at school, which <laughs> when you actually know dyslexia people, um, you you know that their QI is above average. So being too smart to be dyslexic is just wrong altogether, really. Um, but yeah, so... I joined Balfour, what, two and a half years ago now, and I saw that there was a need for a bit more conversation about neurodiversity, the benefits that it could bring to the business and to the people. So I set up the Neurodiversity Network in June 2021 and never looked back. <laughs> Fantastic. That's that's really great. And you, you're absolutely right. It is time we start having more conversations around this topic and start um, challenging misconceptions such as you know it's linked linked to intelligence or being too smart to be dyslexic so it you know it's really wonderful to talk to you today and on that could you give us a little bit more information on what's included under the term neurodiversity so neurodiversity is an umbrella term that refers to how our brain functions um, and when we say you're neurodiverse it means that your your brain is wired differently you think differently the way your brain functions is slightly different to our neurotypical um, colleagues and there's a lot of there's a lot of flavours of neurodiversity and I'll always say flavour because you can never make it the same flavour twice um, but you do have your main conditions those being autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, dyscalculia um, and Tourette's as well um, whilst the Neurodiversity Association doesn't include Tourette's I think most of us would say it's definitely a ND condition. And thank you for that. What what would you advise anybody who's listening to this and what you're talking about resonates with them and is wondering if they may be um, neurodiverse in some way? What steps could they take? So the first thing is always do your research of 
do I meet the criteria of the conditions, but also just to kind of get to know what they mean, um, because when people think of dyslexia, they think of just not being able to spell or read or write, and that's not necessarily the case. It affects a lot of other um, functions and skill, life skills, and that's the same with autism and ADHD and all the other ones of it's not what you assume. So you'll probably do your research and realise actually you've got more characteristics than you first thought. Mm -hmm. um, and once you've kind of done that, there are screenings that you can do online. But me personally, I would always say take them with a pinch of salt because at the end of the day, computers telling you yes or no, you are this when actually there's a lot more to it. Um, and in that case, go speak to your GP. Um, for advice because for autism and ADHD for um, specifics you have to have had those characteristics during childhood so if you haven't had them through childhood then technically you can't get a autism or ADHD diagnosis even though in your adult life you probably are have those characteristics um, it's just unfortunately how it is mm -hmm. but yeah GP have see what they say um, and then they'll be able to give you advice on what diagnosis route is best for you. Brilliant, that's really good advice. And then tapping into a little bit of your expertise then, could you give us a little bit of information on um, what characteristics present themselves and maybe what, what some of the benefits of each condition are if we start with um, dyslexia? Yeah, so dyslexia, obviously you've got your um, challenges with writing, reading and spelling but it goes further than that so not knowing your left and right um word blindness so getting the wrong word mid-sentence or um just messing up mid-sentence when you're speaking or writing um and just general disorganization that kind of thing all point towards dyslexia or yeah dyslexia um benefits of being dyslexic I could probably go on for ages <laughs> but keeping it brief I would say picture thinker most people that are dyslexic because they struggle with words um thinking pictures and for me that benefits me massively when it comes to exam technique because if I put the content that I'm learning into a picture or a diagram with lots of colors mm -hmm. my photographic memory just retains it so in the exam I just close my eyes and I can see it on a page and then I know the answer so Wow. Yeah, quite so, powerful. <laughs> yeah, good for knowledge retention. And again, that strategic big picture thinking is, mm -hmm. is a, a real win here. And dyspraxia, um, people quite often mix that up with dyslexia, don't they? Yes. And it's interesting you say that because when you have your dyslexia test, they will try and test you roughly for dyspraxia as well because there is a big overlap especially with the whole speech side of dyslexia and dyspraxia but with dyspraxia it's more focused on your motor skills and planning so whether that's fine motor skills or the bigger ones um whether that's writing or trying to like catch a ball um spatial awareness that kind of thing but it does go again it goes further of it starts to affect your speech with the word blindness, but with dyspraxia, it affects your sentence structure, even whether it's spoken or written. The okay. sentence, it just kind of becomes a bit disjointed sometimes, um, whereas with dyslexia, you normally just see that in your writing. 
Okay, interesting, really good. And then just another two to that um, come up quite a lot. Autism, um, what would you say are some of the common characteristics? And again, some of the, you've used the expression before, the superpowers. So for autism, again, varies on the person, especially because it's a spectrum condition where everyone will um, have their characteristics either end of that spectrum, whether it's like introvert versus extrovert. Um, but as a general, you tend to see like avoiding eye contact, extreme anxiety in certain situations. Um, some people sometimes have difficulty in communicating their emotions and feelings. Not that they can't feel emotion. Um, it's more that they can't put those into words and explain why they're feeling that. And then that can then lead to things like meltdowns and anxiety attacks and things because they can't make sense of that. Um, mm -hmm. And the big one I would say for autism is that sensitivity to sensory stimuli, whether that's sound, light, taste, smell, um, touch, everything is just a lot more, a lot more sensitive for them um, but that doesn't mean that that's a bad thing like people that are autistic have incredible um factual knowledge and memory like the retention that they have is insane like I'm a bit <laughs> jealous <laughs> at how much they can retain um on certain topics they become real experts in those areas so like for a business why wouldn't you want someone with those strengths that can retain that knowledge and be an expert in that area. Absolutely, absolutely. I would agree with you. So if you know you have a business and everybody in the business is neurotypical, you, you're missing out to some extent. Um, so so that's really um, interesting to hear. And, and conversations like this help us just start the co conversation and get us talking about how we can attract, adapt, retain and, and support people um, who are on the ND spectrum. Another um, condition that people sometimes ask me for more information about. So, Rebecca, could you give us a little overview on the characteristics of somebody who may have ADHD and also some of their their benefits uh, to teams and their superpowers, if you like? Yeah, so interestingly enough, ADHD gets a bit complicated because there's more than one type of ADHD. So in the UK, we have three main ones, which is inattentive, hyperactive, and then you have the combination of two with combined being the most common. Um, but genuinely, I think from an outside point of view, you would see it as people that have distractibility, um, hyperactivity for the hyperactive version and impulsiveness or a combination of all those characteristics put into one. Yes, in the workplace, people might, well, if you get distracted a lot, that's a bad thing. But complete opposite of that is people with ADHD, they move very fast. They have incredible motivation. They really, really highly motivated. And actually, they do have hyper focus. You just have to find the right thing for them. I think this is where it comes into in terms of businesses of matching people with the roles um, and really feed into those superpowers. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And then Rebecca, I'm quite often surprised when I'm training or coaching to meet people who have a diagnosis, but for personal reasons, they're hesitant to disclose it to their employer and, and you know, they're often not sure what to do. What advice would you give um, in this situation? 
I think it's a really hard one when it comes to work because obviously you've got laws in place to make to protect people that have got diagnosis in certain things and require reasonable adjustments. So you have the um, Equality Act and you have reasonable adjustments, which means by law, your employer has to implement certain adjustments or changes to allow you to be able to do your job properly, whether that's reading software, noise cancelling headphones, plastic filters, a quiet zone, you know, that there's a lot and it also then starts to feed into the physical side of things. But if you're hesitant, it's is there someone that you feel open to, whether that's a line manager, HR, or even just a colleague to say, look, I've got I'm dyslexic or I'm autistic. This is what you could do to mm -hmm. support me, like small changes with changing the font type or if your phone rings, taking it to a different room rather than sitting next to someone in the office and continuing that conversation because it can be really distracting. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're all probably done it, but it's just being aware. Um, yeah, so I think it's hard because not all employers are as open. Um, yeah. I think I'm lucky that I work for a business that listens and does yeah. act on those requests. And and Rebecca, so did you disclose your dyslexia right from day one at Balfour's? So it's interesting. A lot of people have asked me this. Um, when I applied for the job, no, mm -hmm. I kept it to myself. So on the job application, I didn't say I was dyslexic. It was only until I got through to the interview stage, I think, I said I'm dyslexic because there was a um, timed task that had I not flagged myself, I would have been really stressed about it because it was a reading task. Um, but once I obviously got the job and started properly, I was very open with it because I had a lot of support at uni. And then when you go from a lot of support to work, it's a real sometimes shock. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I work so much better with it being open out in the open and then it benefits other people. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you are walking proof really of the, the benefits of um, somebody with dyslexia operating in an organisation because you're doing great in your own role um, in terms of the audit analyst role. Um, you are you, you've founded and chaired the neurodiversity network. And, and did I hear you say as well that you, you're taking some of your knowledge and expertise over to the US business as well? Yes. Yeah, we're trying to get them a bit more um, on board with us or align with us um, and our neurodiversity journey as a business um, and they're opening the doors to us so very exciting <laughs> fantastic and you know a, a double win for the business then oh, 100%. and and what about the other the other way so if you're a smaller business or actually no if you're still a business as large as Balfour's but you're working in a, a smaller team or on a particular project and you think that somebody in your team is um presenting characteristics of autism dyslexia or adhd how could you open that conversation in a sensitive way without putting words in people's mouths i think it's a really hard thing to do um and there's probably no right or well there's probably some wrong ways to do it but different <laughs> rights um a couple of different options i think the biggest thing to try and make people aware that you're happy to support them is by sharing with the whole team how big or small it is the type of adjustments that they could get 
were they to need them because mm -hmm. um, that kind of plants the seed of oh so they would offer that maybe I'll ask them um, for that adjustment or that small change um, or as a team you celebrate just small the um, neurodiversity week or autism month dyslexia day that kind of thing and you start getting that conversation started and then as you start that conversation it empowers people um, or I would say the last way to try and get people to speak up is when you have a one-to-one -one, say as a line manager with someone that you think is presenting certain characteristics if they struggle with certain tasks people in their job are allowed to struggle with certain tasks and it's up to you as a manager on how you work together to overcome that mm -hmm. so if i don't know say for me oh rebecca you really struggle with the report writing side of audit um is there anything that we can do to support you with that yeah that's, and then that's... that kind of eases it in a bit more Absolutely. No, that's that's really good advice how, for how you could sensitively raise this, because as you'd said at the beginning, with one in seven people or 15 percent um, of the UK adult population being neurodiverse to some extent, then if we look around our workplaces, I would imagine that more people do um have neurodivergent ways of thinking than we actually know about. Um, and it, it's brilliant to be able to start having these conversations so that we understand the um, benefits of cognitive diversity and also that we can be more inclusive um, and more supportive. So if, if somebody's listening to this podcast for reasons of just wanting to be a better ally to um, neurodiverse colleagues, what, what would your three takeaways be? Um, I think the first one is educate yourself. It's always got to be the more you know about these topics, the less you assume um, about each condition or each person you know that has a certain condition. And then that kind of feeds into things that you can then make changes about your working day, whether that's um, changing your font to size 12, Arial or other sans serif fonts in your emails, which is a massive help to anyone that's neurodiverse and also people that have visual impairments and that kind of thing. Um, and then keep your camera on when you have Teams meetings. Mm -hmm. It's really simple. Um, I think meeting etiquette is start. You're starting to see it improve. Um, keeping your cameras on, sending an agenda out before your meeting. Um, so people can prepare themselves mentally and can kind of plan what they need to say um, and then recording your meeting because not everyone can listen and write at the same time and also if you have a bad memory you can refer back to it so I think those are probably my top ones I know more than three <laughs> <laughs> well that's, that's brilliant and you know as you've pointed out before as well things like font size having your camera on good meeting etiquette sending agendas and recording meetings those are going to benefit absolutely everybody in your organization so it's a win-win as you've pointed out yeah I think people forget that just because not everyone has a diagnosis of neurodiversity doesn't mean that they don't have neurodiverse characteristics like everyone is different you might have a, a bit of a challenge so these small small changes benefit everyone not just those with a diagnosis 
Brilliant. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing your time, your story and your expertise with us today. You've been brilliant. Thank you for the webinar earlier. Thank you for making the podcast available um, to a broader audience and giving us all the encouragement to be our brilliant, authentic selves every day. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.